ugly Christmas sweater party. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Susie threw all mine out. All right. <laughs> I guess I could just come if I'm ugly. <laughs> all right. Okay. Hey, let's get serious. We're in the house of the Lord here. Hey, would you turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 6? An exciting time to be in the Lord. I don't know when the last time was I was touched like this on a sermon series. I'm, I'm really, I'm getting more and more excited. It's like the momentum is building in my spirit for this because I feel like you're grasping it, you're getting it, you already have had it, many of you already. But there's some things in this that were, are just going to bring you and usher you into such an awesome place in your life. I heard recently somebody said, if you pray normal prayers, you get normal results. And that's okay. We should pray normal prayers. But when you pray big prayers, you get big results. And I'd like, as we continue in this series, if you would just open up your prayer life. Um, we're going to end the entire series with an ask from the Lord. And I would like you to just begin to prepare your hearts to know that you serve an awesome and a big God and that you should begin to pray big prayers to him. He's not intimidated by that or disappointed in that. In fact, the stories that make it in the Bible are the stories about men and women who thought big things about God. They thought God was so big he could do anything kill giants, tear down walls, defeat enemies, raise the dead, heal the sick. They served a big God, and God loves it when we ask for him to show himself in his true nature. So I want you to begin to know it's okay to ask God to bless you and bless you indeed. So we're talking about how to be blessed beyond measure this morning, and if you'll Read with me in Luke 6, 35, and then we're going to stand and pray and greet one another in three minutes. But love your enemies and do good, and land expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be what? Great. And you will be what? Sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And the word evil many times means hurtful. Would you stand with me this morning as we bless what God's about to do in your life? Heavenly Father, we prepare our hearts and minds for a great blessing, for a great uh, revelation into our spirits and our minds. If there's anything in us, Father, that needs a spiritual chiropractic adjustment, that Father, you just put us right, put us straight, put us strong, put us in a great place, oh Father, to achieve what you want us to achieve, to do what you want us to do, to believe. Oh, God, what you want us to believe. In your precious name we pray and everybody says, amen, amen. amen. Go greet somebody in the name of the Lord. Let them know you're glad they're here. Give a mic. We'll give it to Susie who's going to tell her story. All right. Well, we're at zero. 
Yes, I know Boise State won. Okay, calm down. Everybody, yeah. <laughs> Do they have a bowl game? Anything? All right. Well, blessings in the name of the Lord. To be blessed beyond measure, you have to understand the kingdom principles. Tony, Pastor Tony referenced one, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. That's a kingdom principle. It's like gravity. And many of you have tested that and lived that out and found it to be so true. Generosity is at the core of being blessed beyond measure. Now, we've talked about normal prayers this morning. There are also normal generosity. And Jesus is going to reference some normal generosity and then what we really want to be, Jesus generous. I'll never forget when John Parrott, who's just now seated, <laughs> came, came to love Jesus so much, he said, Jesus is walk on water good. Isn't that a great saying? I'll never forget that. I wanted to put it on my bumper sticker. Jesus says, walk on water good. In fact, I think we put it on our checks. You know, you get to put a little scripture or something on your checks. And when we ordered them, I said, Jesus is walk on water good. I love that phrase. Well, he's generous. He's, he's walk on water generous. Jesus is so generous that, well, we're going to talk about that today. We find that the Jesus-generous life, we just read it, receives a great reward. What does that mean, a great reward? We forget that sometimes. We seek our rewards from other things, but we can actually look to the Lord for his great reward. That ought to be a little song, shouldn't it? We look to the Lord for his great reward. All right, no, never that. And once we have God's great reward... That really means to be blessed beyond measure. Well, I, I love stories. Don't you love stories? And one of my favorite stories I heard from Susie when we were first dating. We actually talked a lot before we kissed. We were good friends. And uh, she had trouble keeping her hands off me. I know you have trouble believing that, that I held her off. And I made her tell me stories. So I, I'm going to get in big trouble here. So I've asked Susie to come up and just tell us a story about when she was a Young girl, now if you're a young person in this room, this all applies to you this morning. No matter what age. You're six, and I was between my sixth grade and seventh grade year, getting ready to go into what was then called junior high. We didn't have middle school. I was born and raised in Kellogg, Idaho, which was kind of a rough little mining town. And during that time period especially, there was just something in the atmosphere that that was off, if I can put it that way. But I have to tell you, Kellogg, I, I believe, is one of the most beautiful places in the whole wide world. So if you ever get a chance to go there, I, I would like for you to go there. Um, I didn't get my full stature <laughs> until I was in the ninth grade. So when I was going into seventh grade, I was all of four foot six, about 70 pounds. And um, I had two really good friends who lived close to me. And we didn't have a mall, never did have a mall in Kellogg, but we had a Safeway store. So my friends and I would go down to Safeways, and we would spend lots of time wandering in and out of the aisles. And 
um, just at that age where box boys started to look really good, and I'm probably really aging myself because I don't even know if they have box boys anymore, but we were giggly and we were silly. So here's this young little girl in Safeways with her two friends, and we're being silly, and all of a sudden around a corner came a group of girls I'd never ever seen before. And the obvious head of this group just looked huge to me. Now, later in life, I realized she was five foot four. So, <laughs> but when you're only four foot six, it was like, she just looked huge to me. And she walks up to me specifically, says a few choice words, and then says, stop talking about me. And then she slaps me across the face as hard as she can. And I, being the brave person that I was, started bawling and took off running. And my friends, being just as brave as I was, they took off running too. And we're, we're heading to my house. We haven't talked. I'm still crying. I'm holding my face. And as we get to a place where you're either going to my house or they're going to head home. They both took off running home. It was like they were not going to be involved in whatever was going on with me. When I got home, how do you explain to your mom what happened? And my mom could not be convinced at first that I hadn't done something wrong. She said, nobody just walks up to you and slaps you across the face. Mom, I didn't do anything wrong. I promise you I didn't do anything wrong. And, of course, I had a little reputation with her, so she couldn't really trust me. But it was like, honestly, I did nothing wrong. It was totally out of the blue. Well, this was in July, and we went through August, and then we get going into seventh grade, junior high. And I walk into the school and who's one of the first people that I see? Echo Big Spring. I mean, even her name was scary. Echo Big Spring. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever been bullied, but you, you somehow navigate through the halls by becoming very small. And it actually would be um, good if somebody stuck you in a in a locker. You know, it's like you just don't want to be seen at all. And so I spent the first week really hiding and thinking, is this what my life is going to be like? Now, I have to tell you this. At that age, I had no great wisdom. I had, you know, I knew the Lord, but it, it wasn't like I was this great, wise, young person. I was just trying to, to live. And fortunately, I found out she was in my grade but we didn't have any classes together. Then after the first week, you know what happens in junior high? Counselors start shifting kids around. And I walk into my PE class, and there is Echo Big Spring. And, um, you know, could it, why wasn't it math class or English? Why was it in physical education where you can be brutalized, you know, on, on the gym floor? And it was like, oh, my gosh, where our teacher... Some of you will know Mrs. Hinkemeyer had us all sit down in the gym, and I made sure that Echo was over here, and I was over here being, again, very, very small. And my, my teacher begins to say that we're going to play half-court basketball. Because in some weird way back then, we didn't have girls' sports. They didn't think we could do it. I don't know what it was. Anyways, we're going to play half-court basketball. And she says, I'm going to choose some squad leaders. And I'm going, no, 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 no. And I'm trying to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And she says, 
which is what I went by then, Sue Taylor, would you come up here, please? And I'm like, I can't believe she did that. Well, and then she chose three other people, and we were supposed to look out at the group. Don't you hate it when teachers used to do this, and you get to choose who's going to be on your team? There's always some poor kid that's left off or the last one, and she's saying, okay, we're going to start, and Sue, you're going to choose the first person on your team, and I can just still feel my brain going crazy of, you know, if I could set myself up right here, if I choose one of the popular girls, you know, I'm going to be in, and I keep seeing this glaring thing out of the corner of my eye, Echo Big Spring, and I, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm just going to ignore her, I'm looking over the crowd, I don't know if you've ever stood outside of yourself, but all of a sudden I was outside of myself, watching myself, watching myself do something and say something while this other person standing outside of myself is going, no. And I hear myself say, I choose Echo Big Spring. So this glaring girl stands up, comes and stands beside me and gives me this look where all of a sudden she smiles and it's like, we're going to kick their butts. <laughs> and that day, my bully turned into my protector. In fact, it became well known in junior high that you didn't mess with Sue because Echo was her friend. I have to tell you this. It doesn't always turn out that way. You can do the right thing and still not get a good reaction from people. Some people are just mean or evil or not in their right mind. And no matter what you do, you can't change the way they think. But I believe that the majority of people are hurting people. And later, finding out that Echo came from an alcoholic home where especially the girls were physically abused, that she landed in Kellogg, Idaho, and it was like, I am going to make sure nobody messes with me. And what happened was a God thing. It wasn't a Susie thing. I couldn't have been that wise at that age. Um, it was a God thing. But since then, I've had many opportunities where I've had to do the Jesus thing. I've had to do the right thing. I've had to, as he says in my head, Susie, you will be the bigger person. You will be the bigger person. And when you are the bigger person, even if they don't respond the way that you think you want them to respond, there is great reward from Jesus. I ended up, when we moved to Kellogg in 1983, ended up having Echo's kids in school. Isn't that cool? And I coached one of her boys, and uh, I was athletic director for one of her daughters. And her daughter was actually bigger and meaner than Echo. So Echo was actually, I couldn't believe this is the girl that terrified Susie because she, was, you know, she wasn't that big. But when you're little, little, everything's big. Would you turn with me to Luke 6? And we're going to back up to verse 32. We haven't read this verse or 33 or 34 yet, but we're going to read these verses. 
and take them one at a time and not talk long about them, but just to, here's what Jesus is leading up to. The verse where he says, love your enemies, give and lend, he's setting up this verse, that verse by these scriptures. He says this, if you love those who love you, what reward, what great reward, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. So here Echo got loved on by Susie and she responded by loving her. The interesting thing, like Susie says, even if they don't respond and love you for that, God still gives a reward. That word benefit, by the way, in Greek is the same exact word as grace, charis. So the grace gifts, God's favor, his blessings, his mercy, all the giftings of God are in that word benefit. If you do good to those who do good to you, where's the great reward? That's just normal generosity, right? That's normal generosity. You're in the store and somebody sees that you only have two items. They've got a big basket full of stuff. And they say, hey, why don't you go in front of me? You just go, oh, man, I like this person. And, and I might even say something nice to him. I'll be generous back because it's easy to be good to people that are good to you. That, that guy in the big long line of traffic and you're at the little store and you're trying to get out on Eagle Road and he stops and he waves you in. You, hey, thank you, you know, and, that the people are just snobby as they drive by, you know, don't let you out. But if you're good to those who aren't good to you, great reward. Now, you have to believe in God, and you have to have faith in him. Yeah? But if you love Jesus, and you know him, and you know his character, you can trust that when you're good to people that aren't good to you, no matter what they do, you're going to get a great reward. And sometimes your reward probably is better when they don't reward you. Sometimes if they're good back to you, that is your reward. And you go, oh, shoot, I wish they'd have been mean to me. So God would have. You almost get that way after a while. You go, God will reward me better than people. Do you believe that? Yeah. Takes faith, doesn't it? But it's true. It's a hope in God. I have a hope. I'm not going to get shortchanged. I know if I do good to those who aren't good to me, if I love those who don't love me, God will reward me. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and he'll take care of the rest. If you lend to those who lend to you back, especially if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive back, and it's nice if you get interest, while well, banks are begging you to borrow money from them, because they expect you to pay them back with interest. Sometimes your credit card companies are hoping you don't pay them back because your interest will escalate. So they're pushing credit cards on you. They're lending you all the money you want. Why? They're expecting a big return. That's normal. That's not even normal generous. That's just normal business, kind of. It's worldly. But if you lend to those whom you expect to receive money back from or your coat back from or whatever... What credit is that to you? And he uses the word credit. Isn't it nice when somebody gives you credit for something? I like to get credit. I mean, I don't like to admit it out loud, and that sounded really bad. But I think most people like to get credit. But if you do something and you get no credit for it, even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. 
So Jesus is upping the standard here. Now you find this set of scriptures in the book of Matthew, which was meant to be read by the religious of the society. They had a very firm, love your friends, hate your enemies mentality. And then Jesus comes along and just blows them out of the water with this teaching, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. Boy, I love preaching on this. You guys are so excited. You're so happy to hear that. <laughs> now, man, to preach on this and to do it. But he, he tries to help us understand that when we do that, our reward will be what? Remember that if you seek God first in his righteousness, if you do these things, not expecting man to return a favor or man to do good to you, but looking to the Lord... On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. He's my hope. He's my great reward. Is Jesus your great reward today? Is he, when you take the blood of Jesus into your life, is that enough? Pat, Nancy, and Susie's mom, Nadine Taylor, who upbraided Susie for getting slapped, used to say, tongue-in-cheek, wouldn't it be awful if we got to the end of our life and at the very end of our life, after everything we've done, all we have left is Jesus? Wouldn't that be bad, she'd say, with a little glitter in her eye and tongue-in-cheek? Is Jesus enough for us? Because if we love and do good and lend to those that don't deserve it, aren't going to pay us back, aren't going to reward us, we can rejoice for our reward will be great. And the second benefit, the second credit, the thing that blesses us beyond measure, beyond measure, is that then we will be called and are, not just called, he says, then you will be sons of the Most High God. Wow. Have you ever wanted somebody to say, you want real credit, reward? The greatest compliment I've ever received is when somebody said to me, you remind me so much of Jesus. Now, my mom was really, you know, that way about it when, you know, your mother said that. But I always wanted somebody besides my mother to say it. Wouldn't you love to get that credit? You know, the credit you can really long to get is where somebody says, you remind me of that guy in the Bible, Jesus. Jesus said this, they will know you're following me by your love. It's our love that sets us apart into Jesus generous. That love that becomes Jesus generous. Then we're called his kids. Then you're a chip off the old block. And he goes on and he says this, here's my character, for God is kind here is the ultimate. When Jesus is telling this story, he's going to sit down and eventually get to, here's the ultimate love. Your heavenly Father is kind to the worst people on earth. That's really what he's saying here. When I looked at this scripture, one day I saw this and I went, oh my gosh, that is the very definition of the hardest person for me to love. The person that's ungrateful and hurtful. Kids, when you go to leave your mother's home, 
please do not stand on the porch and say, I'm so glad to get out of here. You were the worst mother in the whole world. I don't ever want to see you again. That is the most awful thing you could ever say to a mother. Yes, mothers? Ungrateful and hurtful. Even if you lie, say, Mom, you're the best mom in the world. I'm so thankful I had you in my life. You were awesome. You were the most wonderful mother any boy could ever have. And then you can go to college and she'll send you treats. (laughs) That's also the way you ought to leave a church. Huh? How many have been around long enough to know the kind you want to bless and the kind you want to give the right foot of fellowship? (laughs) Why, this church, blah, 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 and I'm out of here. Wow. Those are the hardest people to pray for for me. They're so ungrateful and they have to say, now everybody knows you shouldn't be flying around to different churches. So a lot of times when people leave their consciences bothered, so they're thinking, I've got to have a good reason. I can't just say I'm flowing with the spirit. I've got to come up with something. So a lot of times people are just searching for a real good legitimate reason to tell you why they're leaving. Don't do that. Just say, I'm so thankful for this church. You guys have loved like I've never been loved. I'm just I just want to go to church closer to my home, and you guys are awesome and love you, and leave that way. Yes? Because then the pastor and all the elders and all the people at church go, oh, God bless that poor widow. You know, they'll bless you and love you out the door. So what Jesus is saying, no matter what people say when they leave the church, we ought to pray for them. And a lot of times you'll see us blessing people that leave the church, partly because of this. No matter what they've done, no matter what they said, we want to bless, yay? Bless and curse not. So that the sons of God will bless you even when you don't deserve it. I want to be called a son of God. And how many know this is the easiest thing to do in Christianity? Yeah, I don't see any hands either. I know. As I'm, I, I even struggled with preaching this because, you know, you should practice what you preach. And I'm looking at this and go, I'll never preach this then. You'll never, some of you are so much better than me, you'll get something out of this and you'll go on with your life, you know. But I realize this is even hard to practice before I preach. And I was self-diagnosing through this whole sermon series. God, how can I in good conscience preach this? I just have to tell you, I'm not Jesus yet. I know that doesn't shock you, so that's why I continue to say. (laughs) Have I told you that the Jesus generous life receives God's great reward? And so we are then blessed beyond measure. Position yourself for a blessing beyond measure by loving those that aren't loving, by doing good to those that don't deserve you to do good to them, and by lending even when you know. Now, there's a caveat in the scriptures. One of the things I love about the Bible that we need to point out more often than we do is the Bible is incredibly balanced as a book. If you take one scripture, build a whole doctrine on it, you're over in a borrow pit on an extreme. Take the full counsel of God. And the Bible says, do not lend money by co-signing. So I just want to say, no matter who comes to you, you don't have to say, sure, I'll sign for you and pay for your house if you can't make the payments. Because I'm supposed to lend even though I'm not going to get paid back. I can't afford to pay for two more houses. And anybody that needs you to co-sign isn't coming to you generally for any kind of a need. It's a want. Think about it. If they need you to co-sign for their car, they're living above their wage. 
They can have a garage sale and buy a car that will get them from point A to point B. They don't need a huge loan to buy a car. If they do, they're buying too big of a car. Really, I have seen cars you can buy for 800 bucks, and they're really dependable. <laughs> now, when you come to a stoplight, you've got to kind of shade your eyes because it's like, I don't want anybody to see. But get with some of these men and maybe some of the women that are mechanically minded and have them go look at a car, and they'll tell you if it'll go under the $30,000 for 800 bucks. Same with a house. Same with anything somebody needs you to co-sign for. I just want to tell you, the Bible says don't co-sign. Because the banks are smart enough, they've done all the algorithms to know when somebody is probably not going to make their payments. So they make you co-sign because they know you're going to default. So if anybody comes to you to want you to co-sign, and some of you have done this, I have no idea of any stories out there. I'm not saying this because I've got an ax to grind. I'm not aware of anybody doing this out there. I'm serious. I've heard of it in the past, but not currently. I don't see anybody out there that's doing this. But the reality is biblical principle is don't co-sign. But when you have an abundance, bless others as God has blessed you. If you have two coats, give one away. You can afford that. That's the analogy. You know, Jesus doesn't set our bar for generosity. You're all wondering where I'm going with this, I hope, thinking with me. Jesus is our bar. You, you see, no matter how much I preach on this or tell you to do, you'll make some improvements along the way, but there is nothing in your natural Adamic nature, your natural man, that wants to do this. It doesn't make any sense to you. There's no immediate re, 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 um, reward for doing what God's asking us to do. And I've got to tell you, when Jesus says, forgive seven times 70, I have trouble forgiven once. There is no way any of us, Susie, as a little girl, all the way to me as a grown, mature Christian, can actually do this. Jesus is the only guy that can drive into your heart enough love to do this. He is our bar. He's not setting a standard saying, you guys need to shoot up for this bar of greatness. Be like me. And we're going, ah, that's religion. I'm trying to strive to be like Jesus. I got to love. I don't want to love. I got to give. When you ask for the Holy Spirit to come into your life and fill you with his holy presence, birthed out of that life will be the fruit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance, meekness, kindness, self-control. That all comes from the bar, Jesus. So I want you to relax and let go and admit you can't do this on your own. Not to Jesus' generous level. You all can be normal generous. I can be normal generous. But to go to Jesus' generous level, you've got to have Jesus in your heart. So don't condemn yourself. If you haven't accepted Jesus and haven't asked him to forgive you of your sins, you don't even have power over your own sins. Your sins are in control, and you know it. You can't gut it up hard enough to get all the evil out of your life on your own. You can't get it up in love enough to be like Jesus all on your own. Nobody can do that. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross to give us Jesus' generous, Jesus' love, Jesus' forgiveness into our life. And it's by that love that blows people out of the water because it's not normal at all and it's supernatural and you begin to witness to the supernatural reality of Jesus in your life by living like him.
Because you are a son like him. And you are a daughter like him. Jesus, it says in 2 Corinthians, don't turn there, 8, 9, it says you, it's out of the message, listen to this. You are familiar with the generosity of our master, Jesus. Many of us are familiar with that. Rich as he was, he gave it all away for us. In one stroke, he became poor and we became rich. And if you accept that sacrifice that Jesus made for you to become sin for us, to become sickness for us, when you receive that, you take on a supernatural richness that allows you to love when people don't deserve it, allows you to be good when they don't need deserve it. You land and without expecting anything in return. By the way, they say that's probably the only way you should ever lend money, especially to family members, is lend it with the thought, I don't want this back, I'm not going to get it back. Because it kills, as, as Dave Ramsey said, it kills Thanksgiving dinner when mom has loaned money to the prodigal son. And he's not paying it back, but he shows up in a brand new car. That will kill you. That will kill you. Susie and I have given money to people and then find on Facebook, they spend it on really weird things. We go, crud, we thought they needed food, <laughs> you know. But, you know, you give as unto the Lord. You give as unto the Lord. Jesus generous is the bar. We love because he first loved us. And apart from him, none of us can do this message. Apart from him, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branch. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. All this love and lending and giving, you'll bear that fruit. For apart from me, you can do none of this. Does that make you feel a little better? We're kind of off the hook. It's not up to our natural man to do this at all. That's why I was able to preach this. I realized, wait a minute. If I could brag about myself, it wouldn't be a true sermon. The reality is my testimony is Jesus I'll never forget as a junior in high school going to a crowded school. It was made for 900 kids. There were 1,200 of us there in four grades. And I remember the year I got saved, my junior year, I could not believe how much more lovable everybody in that high school became. I could not almost help myself but love people. And I knew it was Jesus because I didn't have that the year before. Romans starts out, this is out of the easy read version of the Bible. It's not a real popular version, but I loved what it said. Starting in verse 6, I'm going to read that, and then we're going to go to verse 8. It's 8 and 10 are up on the screen. Listen to what it says in the previous verses. Christ died for us when we were unable to help ourselves. Why can we be generous? Why can we be Jesus generous? Because we have a Jesus who lives in us, who has this mind in him. He died for us when we were unable to help ourselves. No payback there for Jesus. We were living against God, in fact. But at just the right time, Christ died for us anyway. Very few people 
will die to save the life of someone else. Even if it is for a good person. And some versions say, maybe for an exceptional individual, somebody might die for them. Someone might be willing to die for an especially good person. But Christ died for you while you were still a rotten sinner. And that finger's pointing back here too. While we were yet sinners and unlovely and mean. Some of you, before you came to Christ, why did anybody even marry you? And some of you couldn't stay married before Christ. It's hard enough when you have Christ. But our natural man was so and is so awful, why would a loving God die for us anyway? And by this, God showed how much he loves you. Verse 10 says, and the author says, I mean that while we were God's enemies, he made friends with us through his son's death. This morning, if you have never asked a loving God into your life, this is your chance at just the right time. Don't look at all your failures and sins saying, how could a God love me? That's exactly what makes him Jesus. He loves us despite us. So I'd like Tammy and Tony to come up and they're going to close the service this morning, but I, I want you to know that you're just the kind of person Jesus is looking to love. Amen. In that same scripture, there is a, a different version in the New Living Translation that says this. It says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us. And I, um, as we begin to close the service today, I feel in my heart today, there are people here that know Christ and have decided to accept his gift of eternal life, yet you continue to strive to, whether it's prove yourself or whether it's to be self-sufficient. And I, I've got this. In fact, even as I was sitting there today, and I, I don't want to be spooky or weird for those of you that you know uh, may may not know too much about how the Holy Spirit works but sometimes the Holy Spirit talks to us and even as I was sitting there I was hearing some people say to God well I got this I got this and there's got to come a point in our lives where we realize that the truth is we are utterly helpless and maybe you've heard that you've got to go through tragedy to finally realize that. And I'm here to tell you, you don't have to go through tragedy to finally realize that without Christ, you and I are absolutely and utterly helpless. And so I believe there's somebody here today, there are people here today that yes, you've given your life to Christ, but today is the day for you to fully surrender these very things that you have said to God, I got this. And come to a point where you and I realize that it is okay to not be okay. And that in fact, even as we come through these doors, we want people to understand that there's actually no perfect people allowed through these front doors. Because we all need to come to a point of realizing that we are completely and utterly helpless. And see, this is what I love about the Bible and this is what I love about Jesus is that it doesn't end there. 
is that it doesn't end on the fact that you and I are utterly helpless, and that's the end of the story. The rest of the story is that Christ came at just the right time. And I'm here to tell you today that Jesus is here to meet with you today, in this moment, at this very hour, at the right time in your life. And we're going to have a time where if you are in that camp, where you are saying, yeah, I, I know Jesus, but you're right, if I'm honest with myself, I've, I've kind of been striving on my own. I've been trying to prove that I can do this, or I've been trying to prove that I, that I can fix things on my own, or, or, you know, my bank account's never been broke, so I, I've, I've got this. And Jesus is inviting you to this idea of accepting and realizing that you and I are utterly and completely helpless without him. And I believe he will meet you even at this moment, at this very hour. So before we sing a song and kind of open up the space for for those of you that would like to be prayed for and spend that time with Jesus, I'd like to throw out the net, as we call it. And that is, if you're here today and you're saying, I would love to just take that first step of saying, God, I realize I'm utterly helpless and I need you in my life. I need you to come and save me. I'm here to tell you today that there is no one that is too far from God. I'm here to tell you today that there is no brokenness that he cannot meet. I'm here to tell you today that there is no life that Jesus cannot save. So if you're in that camp and you say, I know I'm broken, I know I'm messed up, but, but Tony, you, you don't even know me, and you, you don't even know what I've done, you don't know where I've been, I'm here to tell you Jesus knows, and even with that, he loves you. And even through that, he has been there. And so if you've never decided to give your life to Jesus and to say, God, I need you to save me, I'd like to invite you to take that step today. And the reason why for me it's so difficult even at times to put it into words is because I myself know what it's like to go, Jesus, here's this long list of brokenness. I don't know what you can do with it, but I hear you can do something about it. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. And with every eye that's closed and head that's bowed in this room, if you are here today and you're saying, I need a Savior. I'd like to give my life over to this Savior and say, God, do with it what only you can do, and that is something that I can't do for myself. If you're in that camp today, I'd just like to have you raise your hand and allow me to pray for you. And if you also were that person that, or those few people that just raised your hands, I'd love to meet with you and, and, and get to know you. And our prayer teams would love to do that as well. But I'm, I'm going to just pray over those hands that were, were raised here. And God, I thank you because your love is not just for a select group of people. I thank you because your mercy and your kindness is not saved just for a select group of people that had to be born into the right family, that had to live the right way. But God, your love and your mercy are for all of us. So I pray for those hands that were raised today that are recognizing that without you, they can do no good thing. And God, I want to ask that you would come into their hearts 
and that you would forgive their sins. And beyond that, that they would accept the forgiveness that has been made available to them through Christ's death on the cross. I thank you because from this moment forward, it's not like everything's gonna be fine and dandy, but from this moment forward, even through storms and even through difficulties, you'll be there. God, I pray that you would teach those hands that have been raised this morning to rely on you and to not rely on their own strength and to simply accept that very gift that's already been given to them. I thank you for their lives. I thank you because although their past may define them, it doesn't have, or it may explain them, it doesn't have to define them. So I pray, God, that your salvation would come to those hearts here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. To wrap up, we're going to sing one more song. And if you would like to be prayed for and you're, you're in that camp where you're saying, I've, I've got to release some things over to God. I've got to give some things over to him. And I, yeah, I realize I'm, I'm utterly helpless without him. I'd like to invite you to go ahead and uh, stand to your feet, all of you. And if you're in that camp where you need prayer, feel free to go ahead and come and see one of our prayer team members. We're going to sing one more song. And when we're done with that, I'll come back up and give us our formal goodbye. Take this offering that I bring Humbly I fall on my knees To proclaim your everything My life's nothing without you Take my hand and lead me through You are my sustaining Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you because 
uh, Jesus is here and he's willing to meet us right where we're at in our lives. I thank you, God, for those hands that were raised that decided to live not only for you, but with you. I thank you, God, for all that you've spoken into our lives today. I pray, God, that as we go home and as we process what you've done, both in our minds and in our hearts, Lord, would that become something that is sealed in our hearts and allows us to live it out. And as we live that out, would we begin to see a community, a city, a state being influenced by God's love in such a way, God, that transforms even society and culture. Pray, God, that the people around us at our work, at our home, in our neighborhoods would begin to see God's love in us in such a rich, merciful, and graceful way that their only reasonable response would be to ask what that's about. So God, I, I send every person here today back home to, to their lives and, and to their workplaces and to their schools, trusting God that not only have you spoken to us, but you will also allow us to rely on Jesus to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful week. Thank you once again for being here, and we'll see you next week.